Jesus said, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. May be seated. You know, every year we hear these that admonition of Jesus and we resolve to do better, seeking to follow what the Lord says. Then, no sooner do we walk out the church door, or maybe even before that, after the sermon ends, or during the sermon itself, our minds wander. And they go into that realm where we are anxious. And the day's trouble isn't enough. So, we have to add to it. But the thing about all this, though, is that we're the ones who do this. Now, sure, we can think there are outside factors which cause us anxiety. Family, work, the economy, the weather, politics, Cleveland sports teams, whatever. And those things are real things in our life. But when it boils down to it, being anxious about tomorrow, or in our lives in general, it happens in our own hearts. We're the ones to be anxious. Because our hearts are still tainted by original sin. And so one of the things our sinful hearts and minds try to do, and the world is all too ready to encourage and teach this as well, is then to find a way to write it away or even psychologize anxiousness. It's to turn it into a feeling of being uneasy, nervous, or just worrying. Now, those, to be sure, are manifestations and fruits of anxiousness, But what Jesus is getting at is far deadlier and gets to the core of the issue. Jesus is pointing out something about ourselves. He's showing there's idolatry in our hearts. Because being anxious about life is worshiping a false god. It's a sin against the first commandment, you shall have no other gods. So just then, as every commandment comes back to that first commandment, being anxious about life and in life shows our sinful old man and the fact that we really don't fear, don't love, and don't trust in God above all things. Because if we really did perfectly fear, love, and trust in God above all things and at all times, we wouldn't be anxious, we wouldn't worry, and we would always seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, to be sure, there are concerns that we think about in our life and our vocations that God has given and assigned us to, those duties and responsibilities. We are to be concerned about those things and be diligent in them. But what Jesus is talking about here, when you worry and you're anxious, you're called to repent. And Jesus calls you to repent. He gives you a way of examining yourself in this gospel reading, and it knocks you back into God's reality when you find yourself being anxious and worrying. Listen again to what Jesus teaches. Our Lord said, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And are are you not of more value than they? 
And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows what you need, that you need them all. So pay attention to what Jesus says there in those words. There's a line of thinking that he's teaching you how you are to examine your life, your heart, your mind, as you go through this world. And it's somewhat of an argument from the lesser to the greater. And it humbles you, but it also comforts you as well. So think this through. When you worry and are anxious, it's actually ridiculous. It's almost laughable. Birds are frail creatures, for example. They can fly right into your window and die because they mistook it for a flight path through your house, unless you don't clean your windows or your kids stand and have fingerprints all over them, and they're too dirty to see through. But they also don't have a job to go to. They don't have all the bills, the obligations, the investment portfolios, and various other things that go along with life in this world. They eat, they fly, they use your car for target practice, and they lay eggs. Or look at the flowers, how beautiful a field of lilies is, or sunflowers, right? We're in Kansas, the sunflower state. They grow in beautiful sites for you, and then what happens? They wither away, and then they die, or they're plowed over. Or as rich as a person may be, or the resources he may have at his disposal, he can't make himself just simply grow into such a beautiful sight. Yet he isn't like those flowers which are alive today and tomorrow thrown into the fire. So when we think, we're pre- we think pretty highly of ourselves then and pretty low of God when we doubt that God will take care of us, when the things of this creation are taken care of and they will one day pass away, you will not pass away. Jesus didn't come down from heaven and become a sparrow or a lily. He took on human flesh. He is fully God and fully man. Failure to see, recognize, believe, and live this out in your lives is what God is getting at today in this reading when he says, Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. There's far enough to do for today that you don't need to borrow trouble for sure. And don't be anxious. Because, I mean, do you honestly, I mean, do you honestly believe that God is going to take care of things like birds and flowers around you and then not take care of you. If that is what you think, then, yeah, you are indeed of little faith. And so all of us need to repent. But you see, here's the thing, though. God does care for you. He cares for you because he loves you in Christ and has redeemed you. So even in those times when it may appear God isn't taking care of you, he still is. You might just not see it or realize it or think that this is the way that you need to be taken care of. Because as Jesus said in that reading today, you are of more value than the birds of the air. You are of more value than the flowers of the field. See, Jesus, he is the Son of God, the Word made flesh, 
God has got some skin in the game of your life. He's created you. He's redeemed you. And he still takes care of you. Remember what you call God because you belong to Christ? You call him Father. The Almighty God who has no beginning, who has no end, who created all things just by speaking his word, is this very God who you call Father. And that means something. And it's significant for your everyday life. So as a baptized child of God, you view the world different, differently. You look around you and you see things with a different um, eye, ear, and mind. You see, hear, think, and live in this world differently as a Christian. You view it as one who calls God Father because he really is. And as your father, he still takes care of you. He gives you your daily bread. He guards and keeps you in his care. And he has given you a promised inheritance of eternal joy and peace because in Christ, you are his sons and daughters. Romans 8 asks and answers an important question that's related to the gospel reading today. St. Paul writes by divine inspiration, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And those are the promises that God speaks to you, and he makes to you even today, as Jesus says, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is his own trouble. And so when Jesus makes that bold statement to you, he backs it up with the promise and certainty that he will care for you, even unto everlasting life. So how do you know this? Christ has died for you. And Christ is risen from the dead. You are baptized into Christ. You feast on his body and blood given and shed for you. This is almost certainly true. So now then, listen to that instruction that Jesus teaches you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So strive for that in your new life in Christ. Live what Jesus teaches you as his people. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Jesus really means that when he says it to you. He's not just saying, evaluate and change your priorities. He's calling you to a new heart, a new mind. It's a new life. It's a new way of life. It's one lived by someone who belongs in a kingdom somewhere else and is a lasting kingdom. And one who belongs to someone else who is eternal. So there's great beauty then in all of this as you are of great value to God. Jesus is teaching you that today. You are of great value to God. You're called by name in the waters of holy baptism. You know the Lord who is the maker of heaven and earth and who has redeemed you by the blood of Christ. And that changes everything. 
It changes absolutely everything. It fixes your eyes on Christ crucified and sees this world lived in and through him. It knows that God will not let you be put to shame as you trust in him. Living your life seeking first in his kingdom means you will not lack what you need. It doesn't mean you will have everything you want. There's a difference, and we Americans confuse those things of what we need and what we want. Will you suffer at times, and Jesus even promises you will suffer for his sake? Will there be times in your life when your old sinful man, the world, and the devil will try to get you to doubt that God really does care for you and take care of you? Yes, there will be those things. But you will be given all things as you seek Christ and his kingdom and his righteousness. Even at the end of the day, you know that you have his kingdom and his righteousness. Even if you should perish in this life, you have everything. You have your Lord. You have his kingdom. And he says, you will, and his word isn't like the birds of the air and the grass of the lilies of the field. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his words will not pass away. And his word is the word of eternal life given to you. So there's eternal life in those words of Jesus. Cling to those words of your Lord this day. It's to cling then to one who has fulfilled all things and the one who suffered for you. It's to see a righteousness is found in the one who is the Lord, your righteousness. Hold on to the one who is your mercy seat with the Father, and by him you know that God loves you, that he takes care of you, and that he hears and answers your prayers. And it's a confidence to go through this life and not be anxious about the stuff, the mammon of this world, because your citizenship is in the kingdom which is not of this world. So even times as when you face hardships from storms, from jobs, when the doctor tells you the cancer has spread, there's nothing more to be done. When those you loved so much are taken from you, God's love and care for you has not changed one bit. Because Jesus is crucified for you. Your sin is forgiven and you have eternal life. That's who you are. And that's how you know how much God values you. This is what is known and what is sure and certain amid all that is unknown and uncertain. So you face these things and sing boldly today the great hymns we sing, such as what God ordains is always good. Because you know what? They preach to you, and you actually believe those words, and that's the confession which has been placed upon your lips by God himself. That wonderful stanza, even if the cup tastes of bitterness, you know that there's not poison in it if the Lord sends it to you. And you know that you're not alone in this either. You're not some island then who goes through this life as one that Jesus teaches you not to be anxious, but then says, okay, now you're all by yourself. No, God has gathered you together. You're the church. The Holy Spirit has gathered you together as the body of Christ. That epistle reading wonderfully tells us that we bear one another's burdens. You gladly do good to one another as the household of faith. You rejoice with those who rejoice. You weep with those who weep. And you live in harmony with one another. That, too, is a part of God's care for you as you're united in this fellowship that is the church, created and sustained by the Holy Spirit through the word and sacraments. So you seek those things together in your life. You put those things first and do so as the body of Christ, the church. So conform your life in this way. So dear saints of God, you belong to Christ. He is yours and you are his. You are of great value. Though the earth give way, though the heavens be moved, your inheritance is Zion, the holy dwelling of God and his people. Cling to Jesus and know you will be taken care of in this life and even into life everlasting. 
This is your confidence in Christ crucified for you. And so, as God's people cling to him, pray for his return. Until that day, go running to his word and sacraments and find healing, find refreshment, and find life. Lay down your head tonight, trusting in Christ who has done all things well. And rise tomorrow in that same grace which is yours in your baptism. In all times and circumstances, pray, giving him thanks and praying, O Lord, we implore you, let your continual pity cleanse and defend your church. And because she cannot continue in safety without your aid, preserve her evermore by your help and goodness. And as you leave this place today, know what your future holds. Know what your Lord places before you. The day is coming, your Lord promises you, when you will be raised to immortality and incorruption. And you will see him face to face with your own two eyes. On that day, the eternal day, there will no longer be any anxiousness or worry. All false gods will be no more, and instead you will live with your Lord and all of his saints in that new creation that is beyond compare which he has prepared for you. And that will be a good and beautiful sight the Lord will give you, which is not tainted by sin, and for you, dear children of great value to your heavenly Father, as he clothes you in far more splendor than earthly king could have ever imagined. This is the kingdom of God. This is his righteousness, which is yours now, and it will be forever. Amen. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.